Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Our notes in your bulletin, and there's many scriptures. And so instead of trying to read all of those, I write those mainly for your study purposes. But I want to read one that probably would not normally be connected with the subject of divine healing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, immediately, many theologians say, well, Paul really messed that up. He got all those terms out of order, but he didn't. He's made to us spiritual perception and understanding. We cannot understand spiritual truths without Jesus and without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So he alone allows us spiritual wisdom and perception to know the truth that would set us free. And then he has made unto us righteousness or justification for our sins against God. And then he has made unto us sanctification, which we dealt with last time, in which the old man is crucified. We become new in Christ. Christ lives within us. All the aspects of sin are done away with. And he has made unto us redemption. And the word redemption there is not the salvation of your soul, but it is the ultimate restoration of everything that was lost in the garden. So he is not only our spiritual perception, he's not only our justification for our sins, he not only sanctifies our life, but ultimately through Christ there will be total and ultimate redemption of everything that was lost. He is all in all in all. Divine healing. Well, it's the shortest of our articles of faith. In fact, it consists only of nine words followed by five short scriptural references. And it goes like this. We believe in divine healing as in the atonement, period. Very short. And then we supplement that statement with these references. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were or are healed. And then in Matthew chapter 8, after Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law, some people wonder about healing a mother-in-law, but he had healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, and after that, Matthew writes in chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, he said, that it might be fulfilled, which Isaiah said, that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So he said what Jesus is doing is the fulfillment of what Isaiah promised in chapter 53. And then we list Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. And then we go to James chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed, that you might be able to live together whole, healed, and complete. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The heartfelt continued prayer of a man that is in right relationship with God makes much power available, dynamic in its workings. And then we end it with Exodus 15 and 26, which says from the voice of the Lord through the prophet, if they will diligently hearken to the voice of thy God, and if they will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jehovah Rophi or Jehovah Rapha. It literally means I am the self-existing one that reveals myself to you as a healer. And the word Rophi or Rapha comes from a Hebrew word that was the sound of. And it was the sound of the Hebrew ladies as they would knit with their needles. And it was the sound of those needles crossing back and forth over one another. So it was a word picture. So the Lord said, if you will do these things, I'm going to reveal myself to you as the one that sews you up and puts you together. I can gather up all your brokenness and everything that is torn and ripped and destroyed in your life, and I will put it back together, and I will sew it up and knit it together, and it will be healed and whole and complete. So it's very simple. We believe in divine healing as in the atonement, but it is very profound and it is very complex. Divine healing, healing that is given by a direct intervention of God that overrides the effects and the results of sickness and or that speeds up the natural process that he created in us and produces a complete recovery from illness and disease. A direct divine intervention in which God overrides what he created and immediately brings instantaneous miraculous recovery or a process by which God intervenes and what he created in you he speeds up so that you are healed quicker than nature that he created could heal you. Divine healing. Now we've all heard of divine healing. We remember healing crusades under Oral Roberts and, and today Benny Hinn. And we've watched Hollywood bring a caricature of healing ministries. In my day, it was Elmer Gantry. You've never seen that picture probably. Uh, some of you would remember Leap of Faith. But all those pictures was Hollywood's caricature, mockery of healing and healing ministry. But in order to understand divine healing, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. You have to go back to the book of Genesis, for that's where it all started. And it's in the book of Genesis that we have the promise of divine healing. Well, why do we need it? For you see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after God had created everything that was perfect and without blemish, God said, it is good. There was no curse. There was no sin. There were no thistles. There were no thorns. There was no sorrow. Everything that God created was good. And then the Bible said that God created us in his own image, that he stamped us 
with divinity. That we're the only part of creation that can contain God. And when God created man in his own image, he said, it is very good. No sickness, no sin, no sorrow, no suffering. In fact, there was no separation. Because man walked with God in the cool of the evening of that garden enclosure. Everything was the way God wanted it. And then it all was corrupted by sin. For the Lord said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And that Hebrew word is unique because it literally said, in dying, you will die. If you disobey me, there will be a process that begins within you that will return you to dust. For out of dust you came, and to the dust you will return if you disobey me. There will be this death, this separation from God. There will be this physical result that will lead ultimately to the fact that you will die, decay, and return to the point from which I created you. And an enemy Eve saw the tree. And she said it was pleasant to the eyes. And it was good for food. And it would make one wise. And Satan used subtleness through the serpent. And he questions God's love. And he questioned God's goodness. And Eve succumbed to temptation. But she turns and gives the fruit to Adam. And he's not tempted. With eyes wide open was seeing Eve in a fallen, separated state. He makes a willful choice to sin against God. And Paul puts it like this in the book of Romans. He said, because of one man's disobedience, and the Greek word is perikoui, it literally says, because one man failed to hear. Well, he didn't fail to hear. He failed to heed what he heard. And because one man failed to obey God, then sin came into the world. And because of sin, death. And death passed upon us all because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin comes into God's perfection. Sin begins to have a result upon God's creation and upon God's creature. And to understand healing, you have to understand sin. And there are four distinct words for sin. The first one means to miss the mark. It means to fall short of the aim. For we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of God's intention for us and God's desire for us. We've all done that. And the second word for sin is to transgress. And that word means to trespass. We see the sign that says no trespassing. And instead of obeying the sign, we climb over the fence and walk all over the 40 acres. And that's what sin is. And God gave us not ten suggestions, but ten commandments. And that is his fence to protect us. And to transgress means to trespass. And we disobey God, climb over the fence, and partake of the things God said don't partake of. That's what sin is. Not that we just fail in his glory, but that we willfully trespass against God. And the third word for sin is wickedness. And wickedness means twisted and distorted. So that sin now turns everything that was beautiful to everything that was ugly. Everything that was good to everything that was vile and evil. It twists and distorts what God intended. Uh, okay, you're looking at me. 
The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. It is wickedness. It is twisted. It is distorted. That's why people listen to Jerry Springer. That's why they listen to soap operas. Because everything is twisted and distorted from what God created it to be. And they relate to that. And the fourth word for sin is iniquity, which means uh, lawlessness. It is the state where you not only reject the law of God, but you reject the lawgiver. And the result of that sin is immediate. See, all sin is selfishness. I'm not supposed to really do this, but you need to understand this. All sin is based in one thing, selfishness. My own personal satisfaction, my own personal gratification, my own success above everything else. That's pride, that's selfishness, and that is the root core of sin. She saw that the fruit was good to the, good to the eyes. It was pleasant. That it would taste good. But most of all, it would make her wise. So that that fruit meant more to her and her own personal self-gratification than her personal relationship with God meant. The fruit was more important than God. My personal satisfaction is more important than my relationship with God. What he says, what he instructed me to do, my walking with him in the cool of the evening does not compare to my own personal satisfaction. So I will give up that in order to be self-fulfilled. That's sin. Amen. My own personal gratification means more than my commitments, more than my covenants, more than my contracts more than my relationships with others. My immediate pleasure is more important than long-term benefits. That is sin. It, I can describe it. Offer a five-year-old a Brahms ice cream cone or five bucks, and they'll take the Brahms ice cream cone 99% of the time. You can tell them, look, five-year-old, you can take that five bucks, put it in the bank, and by the time you're 18, you'll not only have five bucks, you'll have interest, and you can buy a whole bunch of ice cream. Now, I want the ice cream now. Because that's what sin is. It is immediate self-gratification. I'm not concerned about the long-term results. I want immediate benefits, and I want it right now. My instantaneous pleasure is more than important than anything. It's more important than 40 years of marriage. It's more important than a 30-minute trice. Amen. My own satisfaction is more important than anybody or anything, including God. And that is sin. That's why the biggest disease in America today is not influenza, it's affluenza. And that's the disease of not having enough and wanting more. And so I'll run up my credit card. I'll get myself in debt. That's what America's done. That's what this debate is about. I got news for you. If your bank book was $14 trillion in the red, you wouldn't be sitting here today. You'd be in jail somewhere. But, but it's, I've got to have it. I deserve. Don't we live in that kind of society? You know, you deserve a break today. Have it your own way. And not only have it your way, without ever a thought of the results. And the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin is sickness. The wage of sin is that, in David's case, the sword's never going to leave your house and your own son 
is going to rebel against you. In Saul's case, the kingdom's going to be taken away from you. In Solomon's case, when you're old, you're turned to idolatry. In Samson's case, you're going to be blind, bound, bruised, and burdened, and your destiny is going to be shortchanged. In Cain's state, you're going to be marked for the rest of your life. See, we want instantaneous gratification, and then we want instantaneous forgiveness that has no consequences. I saw a sign the other day that said, Wanted, clean, fill dirt. That's an oxymoron. Now, I know as a contractor what they meant. We want dirt without brick in it or without lumber. But, but that's, what, that's what Americans want. We want clean sin. We want dirt, but we want it clean. We don't want any responsibilities. We, we want to be forgiven immediately, and there's no consequences to what I do. There's always consequences. The wage of that sin is that, I mean, you can commit a robbery. You can return the money. You're still going to jail. You can be you can kill somebody and God will forgive you. But you're probably going to spend the rest of your life in prison because there is a result and a consequence of your own action. And that's what sin is all about. And that's what Genesis tells us that that sin produced something. And it produced first separation from God. In doing this you will die. Now the word die there is a Hebrew word for separation. And immediately Adam and Eve are separated from God. Now I know, I'm going to get back there. But he cast them out of the garden and posted a flaming angel, uh, an angel with a flaming sword to keep them away from the tree of life. They're separated. And not only are they separated from God, but there is this separation from everything that's important in life from your siblings, from society. And, and, and not only is there that separation immediately from God, there's that ultimate separation, which we call death. And the Lord put it like this, in dying now, you will die. I'm going to give you a process. I created you out of the dust, and because you've sinned, now there's going to come this process by which this dust goes back to dust. And you will live, but all the time that you're living, you will die. Did you know you're born dying? Why do you think you sweat? Because you're dying. And sweat is a result of the breakdown of the systems of your body. Amen. Why do you have waste materials from your body? Because you're in the process of dying. You guys are looking at me. This is basic. You've got to understand this. Oh, if you don't know it, look in the mirror. You're dying. Some of us just closer than others to the. But you're constantly changing because the Lord said the result of that sin is the process of dying. You know, and in the Old Testament, they lived a long time 900 plus years. But, but watch what happened. Then the 900 became Noah's day 120. And Moses lived 120 years, and the Lord took him to heaven. And even at 120, he wasn't sick. You don't have to be sick to die. Our breath is in God's hands. God just took him to heaven, buried him. In fact, the Bible says his natural force was unabated. So he wasn't sick at all, but the 120 years came, couldn't go into the promised land, died. And now the Bible says three score and ten, 70 years. Sin did that. 
It was God's intention that you never die, that you will live with him forever. And yet sin brought separation from him. It brought this separation called death, and it brought sickness. For the Lord looked at his creation that was corrupted by sin. Man cast out. He said, now, you will have pain in childbirth. It will be greatly multiplied. Man, you will work in the sweat of your brow. There will be thistles and thorns, and all of creation is corrupted. And there came sickness and disease, sin-scarred nature. That all was a result of sin. And you look at me and say, Brother Bob, where is the hope in that? Well, it's there. For in Genesis, God gives the first promise of divine healing. He said, but I tell you what, in the midst of all this corruption that your sin brought and the result of that sin that is affecting you with sickness and disease and sweat and suffering and pain, I want to promise you something. One day, there is coming the seed of woman. And the seed of woman will not be like the first Adam. He'll be like the second Adam. He will be not the first Adam from the earth. He will be the second Adam, the Lord from heaven. And when that seed of woman comes, he will crush the head of the serpent. He will tread upon the head of the enemy. He will destroy his power. He will destroy his lordship over creation. And that lordship was the fear of death. And he will utterly destroy the power and the authority of sin. He will be the second Adam. And so there's a book that you've got to have. Amen. It's called Let There Be Life by Noel Brooks. He's in heaven right now, but he's one of the greatest writers uh, in the church. And I, I, and I just want to take just a minute and, and read you a statement about this second Adam. He puts it like this. He says, in Paul's thought, Christ is like Adam. He is the second Adam. He, the head of a race, an incorporating personality. As all men were affected by Adam's sin, as all die in Adam because bound as he did, so claims Paul, all have potentially died in Christ and all are affected by what he has done, by this great healing deed. In other words, the potentiality of Adam, of all ordinary humanity, has been neutralized and exceeded by the potentiality of Christ. The glorious deed that Jesus did is big enough to undo all the consequences of the terrible deed that Adam did and the ghastly things that the son of Adam, all of us, still go on doing. So Christ's death, his cross, is the great healing deed. In his wounds we find our safety. In his stripes our cure. In his pain our peace. In his cross our victory. Here and nowhere else is healing for all the diseases of our souls. So what the first Adam lost, Jesus comes as a second Adam to undo. And so there is this promise in Genesis of divine healing. And then it was predicted throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus, he reveals himself as the Lord that heals us. But in Isaiah 53, that's that New Testament section of Isaiah, he brings it home. He said, there's coming a Messiah. There's coming a golden age. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. He will be the Christ, the Christos of God, the anointed one. He will loose the prisoners and those that are spiritually destitute. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will bind up the emotional brokenhearted. He will set at liberty those that are bruised. He will restore double to those who have lost everything materially. And then he says in chapter 53, he will bear he will carry our sicknesses and our diseases and our infirmities and our griefs. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes and his wounds, we are healed. So he literally said, 
in the fullness of Christ's atonement, not only his sacrifice and suffering on the cross, but in that complete atonement, he has made redemption for us. In his resurrection, there will be healing for man's sins, and it will be healing for all the effects of men's sins and for the corruption of nature itself. For in Jesus, there's coming a healing. And Malachi ended it in chapter 3 by saying like this, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, with healings in his rays, and you shall go forth as calves of the stall, and you shall trot down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I do this, saith the Lord, there's coming a Messiah who will bring healing. And then that prediction became a provision. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem us that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. His name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Spirit of the Lord God was upon Him without measure. And He came forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. And His ministry proved who He was. For the Bible said He preached the precepts, He taught the principles, and He healed the sick. And when He came to Nazareth, He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For I am the anointed one of God. I've come to fix and to free your heart from sin. Those that are spiritually destitute will be restored. I will open the eyes of the blind and heal you physically. I will bind up your broken hearts and your emotional shatteredness because I'm the Christ of God. His name is Jesus. And so all of his signs were validation. The issue, the lady with the issue of blood that touches the hem of his robe, Jairus' daughter that's raised from the dead, the widow's son of Nain that lives again, Lazarus that's brought out of the tomb, blind Bartimaeus whose eyes are open, ten leprous men that go show themselves to the priest, and immediately they are made whole. Every one of those validated the fact that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the promise of God's healing. And then he went to the cross. Hallelujah. Matthew says he's going to bear and carry and support and take up our, weak, uh, our weaknesses and our sicknesses. He took up and bore our sicknesses on, a, on the cross by his stripes. And so he goes to Calvary. And he has a crown of thorns that says one day all of nature is going to be healed and set free from the corruption of man's sins. And the stripes on his back were the wounds of our suffering. But it's not just on the cross. Healing is not just in the cross of his suffering, but it's through his resurrection. For he not only died, but up from the grave he arose as a mighty conqueror over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, hallelujah, he arose. And he said, by the grace of God, he's tasted death for every man, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death which was the devil. For all of our lifetime, because of our sin, we were held under the bondage and the fear of death. But he took the worst thing the devil could do, and he died for you. But he was resurrected in the newness of life, and through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. Oh, hallelujah. You know what that word destroy that means? It made death of none effect. It's a zero. Death is a zero, friend, because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. <laughs> And not only that, but he was made manifest for this cause. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And the word there, destroy, means to cause them to come unglued. They can't hold together. They lose their consistency. So he said, everything the devil brought through sin, I came to loose you from. Oh, hallelujah. 
And then he said he spoiled principalities and powers, and he made a show over them, and he triumphed over them. Uh, he, he triumphed over them in it, which means his death and his resurrection. And when it says he spoiled principalities and power, it meant he stripped them of their authority and their dominion and their leadership. He crushed the head of the serpent, and now he says all power and authority and dominion is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. And so because he died and he was resurrected in the newness of life, we are healed. We are healed spiritually. That's what Paul said. He's given us wisdom and spiritual perception to understand that in Jesus our sins are healed and he's made unto us righteousness and justification. The old nature of sin is healed through sanctification and because of his redemption we are healed. Which means that one day we're going to be just like him. That we bore the image of the terrestrial but we're going to bear the image of the celestial. That we bore the image of the first Adam, but we're going to bear the image of the second Adam. And one day, everything that sin has touched will be removed. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth where there is no more sin and no more pain and no more death and no more curse. And we will be just like Jesus, for it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we shall see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we will be glorified without sin, without sickness, without sorrow, without pain. We'll be just like him. Oh, I know I get excited. Amen. I'm closer to it than some of you are. <laughs> Amen. That's his promise. Oh, but he said, wait, all that's going to happen. See, every enemy is under his feet. Every, every enemy has been defeated, but every enemy has not been destroyed. Abolished is the word. Death hasn't been abolished. It's defeated. If you don't believe that, turn to the book of Revelation. You see Jesus resurrected, triumphant, glorified. John saw him on the Isle of Patmos. First thing he said, he said, look here, son, see what I got? He had a key ring. John said, what's that? He said, keys to death and to hell. They're under my authority. I've already conquered them. Amen. <laughs> I haven't abolished them. But one day, the last enemy will be abolished. And death will be abolished. And when that happens, the son will offer up the kingdom unto the father. And God will be all in all. Oh, hallelujah. You're concerned about this world. I'm concerned about the world to come. This is just a preview of what's going to happen, friend. And so what he said is, all of that's already happened. Now, but you get the first fruits. You're ultimately, because your sins are forgiven, the, the sin nature has been taken care of because you believed in Christ, ultimately you're going to be resurrected, glorified. You're either going to go when he comes and meet him in the air and change in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to be like him, or you're going to be raised from the dead and transformed into his image, and you're going to spend all of eternity glorified in a place where there is no corruption, no more sin, no more death, no more sickness. But guess what? Because of what he did in the cross and his resurrection, you get the first fruits now. I'll heal you now. Oh, hallelujah. And that's why we believe in divine healing, is that through what he did on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension and what he's going to do in glorification, we have the first fruits right now. And what he said to us is, I'm going away, but greater works than these that I have done shall you do. Because these signs shall follow them that believe. They will lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. And he set within the church gifts of faith, gifts of miracle, and gifts of healing. So as long as the church is in existence, that first fruits of his ultimate restoration, healing from everything, is available right now. Oh, hallelujah. 
so that you can not only be healed spiritually, and you can not only be healed emotionally, and you can not only be healed materially, but right now you can be healed physically. Amen. So how do we possess that? Well, the prescription is in James. Are there any sick among you? Well, let him call for the elders of the church. And the elder of the church will pray. And they will anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you can live together whole and healed. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, that's a prescription. So if you need healing in your body, if you went to a natural doctor, he would give you a prescription. Because all a natural doctor does is practice. I always didn't like that word. We are practicing medicine. Well, dude, practice on somebody else, you know. Give me the sure thing. But no, they're still practicing. Because they know that when God created you, he created within you an immune system. He created you an ability for you to be restored, for your tissue to renew itself. And all medicine does is apply means. So that if you have a viral infection, they apply an antibiotic that God's allowed them to discover, not to invent. It was already there. They just put it together. Amen. And they apply that antibiotic to your immune system. And what does it do? It enables your immune system to be stronger and to react quicker so that you're healed. That's all a surgeon does. You've got a growth. Well, all surgery does is remove that growth so that your own body and immune system, you're looking at me. So we're not opposed. All healing is divine healing. I mean, we're not opposed to me. In fact, in this verse of Scripture, there's means. Do you hear what he said? Let them anoint him with oil. Now, we do that, right? We do it symbolically. They did it for medicinal purposes because they believed two things. They believed that if you took your own saliva, now this would be good for a doctor, that there was a healing property in your own saliva, and they would use your own saliva. Remember when Jesus healed the blind man? He spit in the dirt and... They, they believe that. That's their healing problem. My mama believed that. How many times have you ever seen some kid running and hurt before we had all these antiseptic wipes? You know. My mama would just go. Wouldn't she? Oh, come on. And they believed that within this oil there was a medicinal value. And they would anoint your wound or your sickness with that. So we're not opposed to means. We just know there's something beyond the means. That God has already provided through Christ Jesus what he did on the cross and his resurrection. That there is a prayer of faith that will save the sick. And the Lord himself will bring divine healing. That God will break in. That God will speed up the system. That God will instantaneously make whole and complete and heal. And that's prescription. And I gotta hurry, but <laughs> see, that's the prescription. But there's some there's some things in the prescription, and it says, "And if he's committed sin, because you'll have people tell you all the time, you're sick because you sin. No, you're sick because of sin. 
That's where sickness came from. But you're not necessarily sick because you sinned. Because he said, and if he committed sin, they shall be forgiven. Yeah, you can sin, and the result of that sometimes is sickness. I'll just go out and shack up and get genital herpes and HIV or pregnant. The result of your sin can be sickness. Boy, that shocked some of you. (laughs) Kind of bounce back here. It's always a result of your sin. But just because you're sick doesn't mean you've sinned. You know, now... God is never the author of sickness. Sin brought that into the world. Man brought that into the world. The devil uses it. God is not the author of sickness. Now, he can use it, and he does. He tried to use it in Egypt to get them to soften their hearts and let the Israelites go, and they wouldn't do it. He can use it in our lives if we're sick. He can use that that sickness to teach us how to suffer and how to walk in Christ's steps so that even in the midst of our sickness, it doesn't change our relationship with God. It doesn't change our demeanor. It doesn't change our psychological state. We still have joy and peace and love and in spite of everything. Amen. And so he says, call, pray, and this is a prescription. Prayer faith. Faith here is the word of perception. You come to understand. He died. He's resurrected. Not only does that mean I'm forgiven of my sins, it means I have the first fruits of my glorified body. So we come to understand that. That spiritual truth says, wow, I can be healed. It is available. It's true. And then we appropriate it just like we do in salvation. And Well, if it's available and he's made it potentially possible, I accept it. I receive it. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. According to your faith. And then he said it's not only the individual's faith, but it is the elder's faith. They pray over him the prayer faith. So sometimes you're so sick you can't believe. That's when you bring the body of Christ together so that together we can, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The more people we get together, the more faith we have. And it may not be your individual faith, but faith exercised by the body of Christ releases divine healing in your body. Amen. That's why he said, confess your faults one to another, your missteps, your sins, your failures, so that you'll know how to pray for one another, so that you can live together whole and healed and complete. We don't practice that at all. But that would save us from so much sorrow if we just learn to come to the body of Christ and say, man, I messed up. I've got this problem. If we would be transparent as a body and come to one another and say, I, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. My heart, ch- I need. And the whole body gathers around you because we're bone of bone and flesh of flesh and members one of another. And we all pray. And, and the heartfelt, continued, fervent prayer makes power available and healing comes. Because you see, healing flows out of compassion. Read the New Testament. Nine times it mentions that Jesus was moved upon with compassion. And every time, healing is released, deliverance. That's why we come together. See, you can't define compassion. It's love, pity, mercy, all rolled together in one. It it comes from a Greek word that means your spleen. 
How do you define a spleen? I mean, but what it means is in the innermost part of your being, you desire to touch somebody, to see their suffering relief. And not only do you desire it more than you desire anything for yourself, but there is an inherent power that can make it happen. And the Lord said, when we're moved upon for others, then that prayer releases power and people are healed and are set free. I'm gonna call. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, you need to study that because Paul says in Moses' day, they saw his works, but they never learned his ways. And if we would follow his ways, we wouldn't need nearly so much as works. Amen. I knew, I knew that one was going to get you. You see, the problem is we don't follow his ways, and then all of a sudden we need the miracle. Amen. We don't take care of our body. He tells you that gluttony's a sin, and we just go right on. Amen. It's like the lady in the hospital that couldn't get out of bed. She's 600 and some pounds. They had to lift her with a lift. And they said, how would you get that way? And she said, one bite at a time, Pastor, one bite at a time. And we keep doing that. And then we suffer and we need the work. But if we would learn his ways, bodily exercise profits for right now, the Bible says. Amen. So take care of yourself. And if you would follow his ways, you wouldn't need so many of his works. Man, that's good preaching, but you just... You're not responding to that at all. You know, we run over this body and abuse it and then wonder why we're sick. You can't, I can't go there. Okay. So, but the thing is, the prescription is here and if we follow it, we will be healed. That's what he says. Provided you possess it by the prayer of faith, by the compassion of others, by walking in his ways, and he heals you. Now, I'm not going to go into... All these things about, well, why am I not healed? That's between you and God. I can't tell you. In fact, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is when you come and say, I need to be healed, my responsibility is twofold. I am to be moved with compassion. I want you to be healed more than I want life itself. And secondly, it is my responsibility to be built up in my own faith so that I can pray the prayer of faith for you. Don't you remember the story of the man, man that brought the four friends that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus? Couldn't get him in the front door, tore up the roof, let him down. Jesus looked at the man and said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Pharisee said, You're blaspheming God. Only God can forgive sins. He said, I want you to know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. My redemption is not only for sin, it's for everything. So, son, take up your bed and walk immediately. But do you remember what he said first? He saw that guy's faith. He looked up to that torn up roof and there were four heads looking through the thatched roof, that opening. And the Bible said, and he saw their faith and said to the man, take up your bed and walk, son. And he was healed. So my responsibility is to love you, to care for you, to want you to be healed and to release my faith. It is God's responsibility to heal. For the formula says, and pray over him in the name of the Lord. Which means, Thy will be done. And sometimes he says, yes. And sometimes he says, wait. And sometimes he says, no. He did in Paul's life. Paul said, I had a, I had a thorn in the flesh. You can argue what it is. Paul said, it's a messenger from Satan to keep me from being uplifted in my own revelations. 
And I pleaded, I beseeched, I petitioned, I cried out three times, Lord, take this away. And the Lord said, i got something greater for you than healing. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength was made perfect in weakness. Out of the weakest moment of my life on the cross, my strength was made perfect, and my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, from now on, I'm going to glory in my weaknesses because when I'm the weakest, he's the strongest. And you want know the Lord said, my grace is so great for you, it'll never, this illness, whatever it is, will never debilitate you. You'll do my will, you'll accomplish my purpose, you'll do everything I told you to do in spite of that thorn in the flesh. You, my grace will be sufficient for you. And when Paul got to the end of his life, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course and kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. All this is going to be removed now. But it didn't keep me from doing the will of God. So it's here. We believe it. Quickly, I'm going to give you, I had a tape. I'm, I'm not going to play the tape. I hardly ever do this. Can I just give you some personal? I, I look back through 46 years of ministry this week, and I had all kinds of really great examples of divine healing because there's been some spectacular. And then the Lord said, why don't you, why don't you get personal? And so my son Steve was born in 1968, and he was born with an umbilical hernia. And in those days, the only thing they knew to do for it outside of surgery was to take a 50-cent piece. Most of you don't know what a 50-cent piece is, but uh, like a silver dollar. And put it over the umbilical cord and tape it in place, put pressure on it. And so we did that. And now he's going to go back for his year checkup. And we're preaching revival in Yukon, Oklahoma, an old church downtown Yukon. Wonderful man of God there by the name of W.K. Stevens. And I'd preach the revival, and we were getting ready to take Steve back. And the doctor had already said, if the hernia is not gone, he's going to have to have surgery. And after all, well, if you don't want him to be operated on, you wouldn't want your one-year-old operated on either. And I happened to mention that at the end of that service. I'll never forget it. We were walking. The church was over. We were walking down the aisle, and I mentioned that. And W.K. Stevens, all of a sudden, compassion came. And faith rose up in his heart. And he said, this boy can be healed. He said, give me that boy. And he took my son up in his arms and prayed a simple prayer in the name of Jesus. And when we took Steve back to the doctor, hernia's gone, no surgery, healed. And then my wonderful daughter sitting on the back seat. We went to Apache to pastor. She was born in September of 1970. I'm going to tell your age. And that fall, before she was hardly two months old, she and Steve both contracted pneumonia. And they were in the hospital room, same place, in Comanche County Hospital and Memorial Hospital in Lawton, Oklahoma. And Steve responded real quickly. and Stephanie seemed to as well. But she got double pneumonia, both lungs. And she responded to the antibiotics immediately, and we took her home, but then she got really sick again. Spent 37 days at three months old in that hospital room. The pneumonia had abscessed her lungs. And the doctor came in. I tell you, it's one thing to bring them up here and say, Lord, there's yours, and it's another standing outside of a hospital room when the doctor's looking at you and saying, I can't operate. She's too small. She'll die on the operating table. I don't have any other drugs to give. I've got one drug. It's experimental. We don't know what it'll do. And outside of that, she's gone. And to give her to the Lord. And had people all over the United States praying. 
And God intervened. And he used the means of that new antibiotic and healed those abscessed lungs. But it scarred her lungs. And from that point on, she had asthma. And she would be sitting in the living room playing and going to an asthma attack. And I have to put her in the bathroom, turn on the steam and the heat, rush her to the hospital, put her under the oxygen tent. Doctor would come in and say, look, her lungs are scarred from the pneumonia. She's always going to have this. She's just always going to be having asthma attacks. You can just, you know, for two years, one right after the other. Everything normal in the hospital, struggling to breathe in an oxygen tent. We spent so many nights in that hospital. She was about two years old, and she'd been in the hospital again. And I'd been out preaching. I remember it was in February because it was a, a Valentine's banquet, and Edith had been setting up with her all night. We wouldn't leave her. And I came in late that night, and Edith was tired, and I said, won't you go home? She said, no, I'm already here. You go get some rest, come back early in the morning, and then I'll go home and rest. And so I came back about 4.30, 5 o'clock that morning, and Edith went home. Stephanie's in the oxygen tent. By that time, I thought I owned the hospital room, so I just got in the recliner, took the trash can, turned it upside down, put my feet up on the cans, and went to sleep. And early that morning, he never did that, but the doctor came in. It was about 5 or 5.30 in the morning. Walked over, lifted the flap. I woke up. He listened to her lungs. He turned around, smiled, said, well, Mr. Ely, just like I said, uh, lungs are abscessed. It's a result of the pneumonia. You just, you know, she's going to be okay. She's going to go home in a couple of days, but she's going to have to put up with this. And he walked to the door. And all of a sudden, he just stopped and he turned. And he looked back in that door and he said, all that young lady needs is a new set of lungs. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit exploded in my heart. And I, he left and I kicked the trash can out of the way. And I got down to my knees at that chair and I said, Lord, you created me. And you can recreate. And in the name of Jesus, there was no clap of thunder. There was no flash of lightning. There was no holy smoke that filled the room or the glory of an angel. There was just this calm peace. I'm in control. And I want to tell you from that day to this, she's never had another asthma attack. And God recreated her. He's the healer. So in 19, or 2004, every morning I'd get up for six years at the school instead of eating a good breakfast and doing what I knew to do, I'd stop at the 7-Eleven and buy a Diet Coke and the most fat-filled donut I could find. I've never told my family this, but I'm being honest with you. There, there were several mornings that the Holy Spirit within him said, you really shouldn't eat this. I know you're supposed to eat nutrition food at breakfast, and I'm busy and school's calling, and I did that for six years. And all of a sudden, I started having indigestion. Every time I'd eat, go out and play golf or mow the yard or do any exercise, I'd just get this terrible heart murmur just come up through my throat because that's what I thought it was. My wife saved my life. God used her to save my life because, I, you know, men, 
<laughs> just eating the wrong thing. And she said, before we go on our summer trip ministry, we'll, you promise me you'll see that. Yeah. Past graduation, hon, I'll see that. For guys, getting ready to go to South Carolina for two weeks of camp meeting everybody. Edith said, you promised. And the Lord inspired her with a doctor's name that she remembered from years ago when she was a medical transcriptionist. He's a specialist. You're not supposed you're supposed to go through your doctor. We called and we said, sure. I'll see him. He listened to my heart. And he said, Well, I really need to do a test. I said, Doc, I gotta go and preach. He said, Well, can you give me two hours? I said, sure. So we used to leave on a, a Wednesday, and that was Monday, and I gave him two hours and I got on the treadmill and they're supposed to shoot the stuff, you know, but I'm I'm macho. I used to run a lot and I'm doing the treadmill fast as I can. I'm and all of a sudden this little thing went beep, beep, and the technician said, uh-oh. And I said, is that a good uh-oh? He said, no, that's not a good uh-oh. He said, I don't even need to shoot this anymore. You got a problem. The doctor came in and said, we're going to have to do a catheterization of the heart. We're going to have to do an angiogram. I said, doc, I got to go to South Carolina to preach. And he said, well, just give me a day. It won't take long. It won't hurt a little bit, but you'll be okay. And I said, well, what's the worst thing that happened? He said, well, you could have a heart attack on the table. And I said, thanks a lot. He said, but if you do, we're here. Didn't have to do that test. And so he does the screening. His buddy Williams, my friend, was over radiology out there, and he watched it. And sure enough, one artery, but it's the main frontal lobe artery, 70% clogged. Don't operate on one artery. The doctor says, we call that the widowmaker. He said, if you have a heart attack there, you're either dead or you're going to live like you don't want to live. So I'm going to put a stent in. And so he did. A couple of months, I'm doing great. Yeah. So God used that. But I'm sitting in my office close, it's been about six months after this. And I'm sitting at that desk. And all of a sudden, that same feeling began to come up through my chest and up into my jaw, and I knew that feeling, and I'm scared, and anybody who says they're not is lying to you, and so I thought, what am I going to do, and I remembered grad school was in session, and Dr. Pike, I can't even remember the professor's name now, so I got up from my desk, and I walked over, and they were having class, and I looked at Dr. Pike, and I said, Dr. Pike, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt your class. But I'm really not feeling well, and I need prayer. And those graduate school students, Dr. Pike, and that teacher gathered around me. And I'd just been reading the story. I'm serious. Listen, I'd just been studying Elijah and Elisha's ministry, the handing down from one generation. That's what I would have been studying. And that professor walked over. He doesn't know. He's never met me before. And he laid his hands on me. He started praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Lord, we need this man more than we've ever needed him before. Because he has to transfer the mantle from one generation to another. And I want you to heal him in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you, <laughs> that's seven years ago. And I've never had that pain ever again in my life. It's available. And he's here just for you stand with me right now hallelujah spiritually he can heal your sin 
materially, he can meet your need. Emotionally, he'll sew up your brokenness. Physically, by his stripes. So somebody may need healing. And if you need healing, we're going to do exactly what James said. We just want you to come and stand up here because we love you. And he's already made the provision and we're going to gather around you and lay our hands upon you and anoint you in the name of the Lord in the prayer of faith. We'll save the sick and the Lord himself shall raise you up. And, and, and I'm going to tell you how I feel. It's time, honey. It's time you're free. Hallelujah. It's time. Hallelujah. You believe that if you're moved with compassion and you want to see our sister healed, I, you're an elder in this church as far as I'm concerned. Hallelujah. Lord, we can't, but you do. <laughs> Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> In the name of the resurrected, glorified, triumphant Son of God, our healer, our Jehovah Rapha, knit it up, sew it up, make it well. In the name of Jesus, release that gift of healing, that miracle of your power. Intervene. Crush the head. Lord, through it, it hasn't debilitated her, it hasn't kept her from doing the purpose of God, but right now, oh, hallelujah, every muscle, every fiber, every nerve, Lord, every organ comes into alignment with the healing power of the Son of God, and in Jesus' name, <laughs> in Jesus' name. sister to you right now by your stripes we were healed and with your stripes we are healed and Lord right now release that prayer of faith that saves the sick and Lord yourself raise her up in the name of Jesus make her completely well all together whole and healed and delivered Set free, set, set free in the name of Jesus. I believe you to do it right there. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, bring a gift of faith. Bring a gift of a miracle. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.